1: Welcome aboard Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch, and I'm joined today by a good friend of mine, Mr. Kevin Coppa. Kevin is a motion graphics artist, videographer, and puppeteer, but most people would probably recognize him from Comic-Con or Gallifrey One as a rather uncannily good Tenth Doctor cosplayer who's blessed with uh, being a dead ringer for Mr. David Tennant. So, stick around, and here we go.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, welcome. Thank you very much. So, uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the greatness of Ten, let's go back a little bit. Uh, What
0: got you into cosplay? Honestly, it was looking kind of like David Tennant, (laughs) to be honest with you. I I mean, I'd always enjoyed dressing up for costumes on Halloween and things like that, but I'd never actually gone to conventions and dressed up specifically or or done anything that anybody would consider costuming or cosplay. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, not to be insulted, but I always thought, eh, that's kind of weird. I wouldn't really want to go here and do that or do anything.
1: Outrageous. Oh, of course.
0: It stand out so much, right? Right. But then I, I had these, i would never even seen Doctor Who. I mean, well, I'd seen just a few things of the old series. You know what I mean? I knew what it was, but I'd never really watched any of it. Uh, certainly not the new series. I mean, there'd been a few episodes on Sci-Fi Channel at that time with uh, Christopher Eccleston, the first season had shown. Right. And so I'd seen a couple of that and thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. Maybe one day I'll I'll catch it up and and, and see if I can watch the series in full, if I get around to it. But he was the only only current doctor I knew about. And and soon enough, I mean, I had this friend tell me, oh, you look like the Doctor Who guy. And I thought, oh, I don't understand what you mean by that, but whatever. Then Then I, you know... In my work experience, I actually wound up in a classroom with a, a group of kids I was teaching, uh, showing them how to use iMovie, actually. Mm-hmm. And one of the kids goes, oh, my gosh, it's Doctor Who. And at that point, I was like, no, wait a minute. I, I don't, you know, my hair just looks nothing like Christopher Eccleston. Oh, I have right. big ears. I don't have a big nose. What is this people keep talking about? Thinking of the had, wrong Doctor, yeah. Yeah, I had no idea they'd cast a new guy already as the character um, until I, uh, you know, eventually went online and, and started doing some investigation. I'm like, well, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if he really looks like me. But at that time... I'd finally had three or four friends tell me, oh, yeah, you look just like this guy. And I said, oh, what the heck? All he does is he wears a pinstripe suit. He has a tie. He sticks his hair up a little bit and wears chucks. I think I can pull that off. It's not too weird. I could pass for a normal person. <laughs> I'll, give, I'll, I'll give this a try. Uh-huh. And sure enough, when, when we did it, uh, people just went nuts. And I, I really enjoyed it a lot. And it turned out, as I investigated and got a chance to watch more of the show, both the uh, New Who and Classic as well, I really liked it. So that was an extra plus.
1: <laughs> uh, a bit of a life changer, then, huh? <laughs> Definitely, in, in terms of hobbies, you had it. Okay, that's cool. So, would, was the
0: tenth Doctor your first cosplay then? Uh, first, I guess you could say public cosplay. You know, I, I, I had uh, before that. I, I had assembled a few Star Wars items, mm-hmm. kind of just for my own uh, my own amusement, and also for wearing around at uh, like Halloween or costume parties. Gotcha. Uh, never really wore them to a convention before, but I, I had done uh, a few costumes like that before. <laughs>
1: Uh, what is your favorite costuming
0: event or convention? It's kind of a funny toss-up. It's funny. in term, my, my personal favorite or what I would recommend to people? I would say for my personal favorite, I really love Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people would argue and say, well, that, you don't really have a lot of costumes at Comic-Con. And, and that's true. Not everybody costumes. I'd say it's about a 50-50%, you know? Sure. But with the amount of people at Comic-Con, if you show up in costume, you get so much attention. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like you get to show up for four days and be a rock star if you're in costume and people really recognize you and know what you are. Well, I know all too well. Well, and that is assuming you pick the right costume too, though. Well, true, exactly. So, but that's a great place if you really want to get exposure and, and really get you know people to you know recognize and enjoy what you're doing. I usually recommend to people if they want to go someplace to see the best variety of costumes. Uh, Dragon Con is the place to go. I I, mean, I went one year and one year only, but I have never before seen so many fascinatingly obscure. Subject matter uh, of costumes show up, and also just everybody. I mean, if you're not in a costume, you're the weird one. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, I would say the, the convention I have the most fun at is definitely Gallifrey One.
1: We're going to end this, this podcast, is going to be a big old plug for Gallifrey One, it seems, that comes up a lot in, uh, in a very, very positive light. Um, and I agree, I totally agree. Mm hmm. Um, and, I, well, of course, you'd be a big hit. Well, you are a big hit. What am I saying at Gallifrey One? Because uh, you're, you're such a, a great 10th Doctor.
0: Definitely. But that's beginning to wane. That's beginning to wane. I, I am definitely in my, my autumn years in terms <laughs> of recognition as the Doctor since BBC America has been showing you know, the, uh, the 11th Doctor episodes and, and ten this kind of fading from public memory, especially here in America
1: oh really i I suppose so i guess in this day and age i assume with you know netflix and dvd that any older doc well recent older doctor would take a while to fade from memory and ten it was so popular
0: oh well you'd hope so but you know i've had a number of experiences where people have literally not known who and what i was ah well no this this leads me to the next question then Um,
1: so what has been your most common misidentification you've gotten for a character (laughs)
0: <laughs> Definitely the 11th Doctor. You know, I, I've been finding more often in the past three years uh, since, you know, uh, Matt Smith has taken over the role that everybody here in America, the show has gotten so popular with him since they've been showing it on BBC America that uh, people will stop me and ask me, oh, that's kind of neat. What, what, are you, what are you dressed as? And I'll say, well, I'm, I'm Doctor Who. I'm like, where's your bow tie? <laughs> Even even uh, in, in Comic-Con 2011, DVC America's booth had, you know, a lot of promotion for, you know, Doctor Who in Series 7 at the time, I believe it was, and they had a costume contest going on, and I just walked over to the booth to check it out, and the person who was at the merchandise counter saw me, and they were like, oh my goodness, you you got to go talk to this guy over here, You we're having a look-alike contest, this is perfect for you, and I thought, oh yeah, cool, okay, awesome. I can win, right, yeah. Um, so I went and I talked to that guy over there who was apparently running the contest, and he just very bluntly told me, "We don't want you." Ooh, just like that. You said, "We don't want you." He's like, "Yeah, we're we're only promoting uh, Karen Gillian and, and Matt Smiths. We don't we don't you know promote the old sh- episodes." <laughs> wow, no love for the old school, even the recent old school. Listen, I know it's like, wow, now I know what it's like to be a classic doctor. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Garf and Celery? Go away.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they, they're very dismissive to uh, to me whenever I show up in my classic garb as well. They're like, ah, it's before my time, whatever. I'm like, okay. I mean, it depends on who's working there. Sometimes the people there are very enthusiastic and happy to see you, but uh, they certainly aren't uh, as heartwarmingly welcome as you are if you're Matt Smith.
0: It was it was just kind of funny to, you know, after so much attention being given to the Tenth Doctor and David Tennant to, to suddenly, you know, oh, no, he's not the big thing anymore.
1: I know, right? <laughs> Crazy crazy, crazy,
0: what would you say has been your most challenging costume challenging costume, my most challenging costume, I think definitely challenging in terms of finances and and in terms of trying to make it work correctly would have been the sanctuary uh, base Six spacesuit for the Tenth doctor from the Satan pit I think pit episodes, yeah, um, I will be sure to post
1: your uh, your blog <laughs> about that to get into the uh, heavy detail I, I I did say that it did make me laugh uh, in um Sympathy. Sympathy laughter is what it did.
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly. It was, uh, you know, I, I tried, it was, I, I have to, I can't take any credit. All uh, There's a lot of folks on, on the Replica Prop Forum and a lot of other fans who were m- much better at going out on the internet and finding out exactly the original pieces that were used for this costume. Uh, the main portion of it being the, the orange spacesuit, which was uh, made by a company called Space Toys, which I'm not promoting, by the way. I don't believe they even sell it anymore. I, somebody told me that. And I don't know. You'd have to check it out and see. Mm-hmm. I don't think they make exactly the same one, but I—I I, I guess I sort of lucked out in the sense that I was able to get on the website and the price, even though it was astronomical, I don't know should I should I mention prices on here? Or yeah, go for it. Six hundred dollars. About the price of a PlayStation Three back when they first came out. Exactly, and I think that was okay. That was okay. If I bought a PlayStation Three, I, I can a couple, afford a couple paychecks to devote towards this, and so uh, I, I got it. And when I received it. It wasn't exactly what they had advertised, even on their own website. They were portions of it, like the pockets were switched on the wrong legs. Uh, They they had Nassau patches weren't sewn on. I thought I could just take them off, so I never even thought to ask them to leave it off. And they had hot glued it on. Ooh, it was all mashed into the fibers of the orange uh, boiler suit. And it was just there was a whole lot of things that. Really, for $600, was going to be so much more work than I could, you know, fathom having spent that much money on. Uh, the worst part, too, was also just the the amount of fabric. It was very strange, too, that they, they put around the, I'm just going to say it, the crotch area. When I put that thing on and I stretched it out, it looked like I was in a clown suit. <laughs> so I not only had to switch the parts around, I had to take the whole bottom leg section apart and re-sew it and, and, and try to cut it to make it look like it actually fit me. So much for screen accuracy, huh? exactly exactly and, and and luckily enough come to find out when Louise Page uh, was gracious enough to come and be a guest at uh, Gallifrey and I asked her the questions kind of about the space shoot, she confirmed the same exact you know stories of woe that I went through too in in converting those things for using on the show so it was a it was at least in good company that I had to share all that pain hey
1: you know if it's good enough for the production team good enough for you right
0: <laughs> exactly
1: <laughs> so um in addition to the spacesuit, uh, you've also
0: done the tuxedo ten, correct? Yes, that. Oh, that was a lucky find. You know, again, that's not one that you really have to make a whole lot. You know, obviously, we can get into the, the brown suit later. That that was uh, fabricated, that was created, that was made. The spacesuit, even though it was purchased, had a lot of little bits and items that needed to be modified or added on to make it work the, and look the way same way it did on the show. But the tux was just, you know, you buy it off the rack. But the thing is, it's it's obviously those tuxedos. If you're going to buy them brand new. They're more expensive than that spacesuit. Just lucked out that I checked eBay one day in December. And lo and behold, there was this Paul Smith tuxedo in the Beard. I think it's called or Beard. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Someone out there is probably rolling their eyes right now at me. Um, But there it was on on eBay and some guy was selling it. It was used and it was only $200 and it was in my size.
1: Well, (laughs) That's what I call the moons aligning and, and working for you.
0: You got it. So boom, I was right on that. I got a hold of it, and uh, luckily, I also found the the correct white dinner shirt that went along with it, and we were good to go. <laughs>
1: <sighs> Nothing like a good lucky eBay find. Um, and then the black converses were obviously an easy accessory. And you- uh, I don't think. Sorry. I-
0: that's one of the most brilliant parts about the whole costume of the 10th doctor just having that one piece that's very easily accessible for everybody out there in the world to kind Mm. of buy that everybody can own and everybody can you know have a little piece of the costume of the 10th doctor it's kind of fun
1: it is yeah no completely i mean uh, i
0: think the only ones that are kind of hard to track down are the red maroon ones right yeah those you have to I've, i've never seen those ever in store it's always has to be on online And it's kind of hard not if your website carries them.
1: Yeah, I've heard from some people, they always have a hard time finding them now that they were some kind of like a special edition or something like that. I've never had to do that variant, so I've never had to personally look, but I, I, I take people at their word, and maybe it's back out now, I don't know. Uh, yes, for anyone listening, uh, we're about to really heavily discuss the Tenth Doctor outfit, and uh, you can go check out the breakdown on dwcosplay.com. If you go to the user memories, there's a nice list of all kinds of good entries toward the bottom, uh, including this one, uh, which is going to get into far greater detail than we could ever talk about it. So, if you're interested, definitely check it out. Uh, so, starting with the tent outfit, um, let's let's start with how you first approach it, not where you're at now, which is you know very high end, like. Uh, when you said, okay, I'm going to be the 10th doctor, you know, step one, what did you do?
0: Step one. Step one, again, was just to kind of, you know, satisfy my friends who were pleading with me, and I wasn't really looking to, uh, you know, I, I, accuracy was not the first thing on my mind. It was just, you know, let's get something that looks good enough to be close. Sure. I, I did a little research, and I saw that there was um, a group called Magnoli, obviously, a fellow of Magnoli who was making replica versions of them, and they looked pretty good enough to me, and I it wasn't exactly a price that I was looking to pay or that I thought I could afford, so again the magic of eBay Mm. lo and behold I did find one it definitely wasn't my size, but I found one and it was for a lot cheaper than obviously what was being just retail on the Magnolia site and once I got a hold of it, I was able to have it tailored, you know, to kind of cut down more to my size Uh, knowing what I know now, it was still baggy on me compared to what he wears, but it worked just fine for what I needed it to be Sure, just fine, and you know, lo and behold, I was able to head on over to those uh, conventions, and there I was. I had a nice pinstripe, you know, brown and blue suit. And what did you do about the? Uh, I mean, obviously, the Converse's were easy to source, but what did you do about the tie? Uh, well, the tie, I just used a tie that I personally owned at the time. I didn't really look and see what you know. It, again, it was so funny to know where I'm at right now to to look back and, and see oh my gosh, we didn't even pay attention to the ties. We just, uh, whatever old tie works, you know. Now that I know the fact that the color combination is always blue and brown, uh, (laughs) the ties are kind of blue and brown based. I think I wore like a red and purple tie or something like that. You Mm -hmm. It had absolutely no connection. It just kind of looked sort of, you know, stripey. I think even had like a green dress shirt, I thought maybe he wore like a teal green dress shirt, which is totally wrong too. So Well, that gets you back to color theory and color
1: perception, but uh, I mean, you have a good point. Most people are looking at the brown suit, the pinstripes, and converses, and if you're not being picky, you can really fudge the shirt and the tie, it's only, these these are just extra details you can like dial in if you want, but uh, I'm all about, hey, get the read and jump in there, and hey, if you've got the time and the money, then by all means, dial it in
0: further. Definitely, and and, uh, somebody also, I think, said to me one time that I was pretty lucky in the fact that since I looked enough like him, I could have worn something that was even more inaccurate, and I still would have, you know, come off as David Tennant looking like the doctor, so... That, I, was, that was kind of a nice compliment.
1: No, yeah, no, completely. Uh, ca- casting carries you very far. Actually, uh, we'll take a tangent there. Um, how important do you think casting is to your character?
0: It depends. I mean, there, there's obviously there's a lot of folks who like to do anime or animated, you know, kind of cosplayer characters. And I think you can really squeeze yourself into any category there. You know, that's a lot more subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to live action, though, I mean, you can, I, I'm not going to put, I'm not one of those people who's going to stand off on the side and say, oh, well, you know, so-and-so didn't, uh, you know, they don't look quite like River Song or they don't look, quite, if you're, if you're dressing up as them and you're having fun, I think that's great. I don't really think there's any problem with that. I think it's wonderful. And, and obviously, I can, if I can tell what your character is, that's even better. It's cool. Um, but it, it definitely, I can definitely say from personal experience and having even seen other people, if you look like a character. And you you dress up like them and you walk in a room, all eyes and boom, are going to go right to you and people are just going to go nuts. So it it it, uh, it depends. It has to be how important it is to you. You know what I mean? If you if you actually are fortunate enough to look like a character, dress like them and and you're going to be amazed by the attention you get.
1: <laughs> right. But you said the flip side of this once is that if you try to be somebody else, sometimes it looks like you're, as you say, David Tennant trying to be another doctor or something,
0: right? Yeah, that was the one problem I found. I, I was trying to do some other characters with some people. Like, I tried to be, I think, Jamie McCrimmon. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got the kilt together, I got the shirt, and I, they put the wig on me. And, I, you know, I looked like David Tennant trying to do a bad Jamie McCrimmon cosplay. <laughs> but if you're outside of the realm of Doctor Who,
1: you have an easier time. You know, you you look just fine when you're uh, doing, like, a Jedi Knight. Yeah, it, it,
0: depend, it depends on what, you know, crowd you're with, I think. Mm-hmm. What your expectations are versus, you know... Uh, what are the kind of convention or the kind of crowd you're with, I think. Too true,
1: too true. Um, so uh, getting into, uh, back to David Tennant uh, with the suit. Now, the, <laughs> you've been talking to Louise Page. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, we had time to discuss things with her when she was at Gallifrey in 2010. Um, so we're much more informed now than I think we were you know, uh, a measly two or three years ago. What uh, what's what's important about the suit to discuss? I mean, I can get into this, but
0: I'd rather let you talk. Sure thing. Well, the the big revelation, actually, which which didn't come through direct information from Louise because she was uh, personally trying to just you know not keep it from everybody, but just be quiet, you know, out of person out of professionalism, you know what I mean, not you know put it right out there. But the pants are actually Gap trousers. They are, you know, everybody's looking for this fabric for such a long time. Where is this blue and, and uh, brown pinstriped fabric coming from? Mm. Turns out it didn't come from anywhere. It was actually came right out of a store in the form of a pair of trousers. And it was, you know, probably part of the 2004-2005 line from The Gap. And they had been looking for a long time uh, for this pair of trousers for, you know, David to wear. He liked them. And so she went out and she bought just about every pair she could find took them all apart by hand and then they sewed them into the suit jacket. Um, In fact, if you want to really learn a whole lot more about that story, I won't go into too much detail about it, but Steve Ricks has had a fantastic uh, series of interviews with her which I helped with um, on his blog that you can check out. And we have a video coming up soon. Uh, where she goes into great detail about her inspiration for what her look for the, his whole costume was like, where that came from, and also uh, the whole process of making the whole costume, too. That'll be on there if you really want to check it out, from from the horse's mouth, if you will, exactly where that came to be. But uh, it it took, let me think, how many was it? It was five pairs, I think, of trousers to create the entire costume. One pair, of course, to wear on your legs, and then four to make the suit jacket. And it was extremely important, too, that one pair be definitely large enough and wide enough, at least, I'm going to say a 36 waist or higher, Mm -hmm. for shoulders, unless you're very small. Most of the trousers weren't going to have enough material to give you to really kind of go from the the center seam in the middle of the back all the way to the shoulders. So you would really have had to, um, like I said, had larger pairs of trousers. Otherwise, if you had smaller ones, you'd be out of luck. You'd have to add an extra seam in there that, you know, wouldn't have belonged. Gotcha, gotcha. So, uh,
1: basically, the found item is the trousers. The suit jacket portion is the custom
0: custom version from the trousers. I believe she said they, she had found a suit jacket that uh, they liked the look of. It was kind of an old-fashioned kind of smoking jacket. Mm-hmm. They had this kind of panel on the back, and you can see it on the 10th Doctor. He has this kind of like horizontal panel just above the bottom lapels on the back of his jacket. That was kind of a unique look that they really liked. And then they also had another jacket where it had the kind of the half-moon Pocket flap on it that right. they really look up as well, and so they kind of kind of borrowed from the best of the the jackets that they had assembled and liked, and then remade it with this fabric from these Gap trousers. And what's very telling about that fabric is it's so thin, correct? Gosh, it's it's ridiculously thin, and uh, I, I'm really surprised. I mean, it, it I could run my fingernail across it accidentally, and it would completely leave a giant mark. That's <laughs> how thin, ridiculous it is. That's why I'm almost paranoid sometimes when I when I wear my costume. If you just bump into something, you can really get it like, get ruined pretty easily. It thins out. It, it, the thing, it, it has a weird texture to it, too, where if you, you walk, it sounds like snow pants. You're hearing this swish, swish, swish noise, too. It's very thin cotton. So basically, it's not exactly what you would deem uh, an expensive-looking suit. It's certainly not. I can, I can definitely tell why they said on the show that a lot of them got uh, trashed. Over time, that's why they, they defaulted to also wearing the blue suit because they just didn't have enough uh, wear and tear they could afford to, to use these suits on. Because once they bought up all the trousers, that was all they had. They couldn't just, you know, go out and get more fabric to make more suits. That was it. It was finite. So, Kevin,
1: your uh, your current tenant suit is actually made from these uh, very infamous Gap trousers, correct?
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, that was the, like I said, dream that I never thought could actually happen. Uh, we had just, you know, found out... And, the community, I should say, had found out uh, what the fabric was made of, these trousers. And, of course, the next bit of news that came along with that is they're extremely rare, and you can't find them anymore. So oh, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, we found it, too. Oh, okay. But fortunately, through, again, I, I hate to keep quoting it because I also call it Evil Bay, but through the magic of eBay, Mm-hmm able to find enough pairs of trousers and everybody always asks me, oh, how did you do that? How'd that? Is there some secret? I, not really. No secret. The first pair I found went up and uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. Maybe 2009, I think. Somebody put it up there. And the, and the scary part was, and this is always the worst part of when you're looking for something referenced for clothing uh, for cosplay, especially if you're looking for something brand name that shows up for sale, uh, the person who was selling the item knew what they had. And they had put them up on eBay as Doctor Who trousers, you know, Gap.
1: Oh, boy. Mm -hmm.
0: Of course, everybody, I think, from the Doctor Who community had found them and had talked about them and shared them. So everybody was bidding on these things. And the price was just going up like crazy. Uh, And I decided, you know what, I'm crazy enough. I'll bite the bullet. And I tried and and I got them. I did. I did manage to win them. So if you were one of the people who were listening and, and, and bit on those trousers back in 2009, yes, it was me. I'm, I'm very sorry. I probably just singled myself out for some hits, but uh, <laughs> but it was a very good thing I got those because those were the pair of 36 uh, uh, waist that I, uh, I talked about previously. If I hadn't got those, I wouldn't have had enough fabric, again, to cover the portion from the mid-back to the shoulder that I mentioned at the back of the suit jacket. Okay, so you needed uh, five to six pairs of these. How long did it take you to track them all down? Uh, Well, after that first pair that I got, it was years before I found any other pairs. Um, It was a very long time. But it just seems, for whatever reason, that five years after they had been on the market, so about 2010, everybody was clearing out their closets in the UK and selling their clothes on eBay for some reason. (laughs) It just happened to be lucky that way. Mm -hmm. So, something else from Doctor Who or from any other uh, cosplay source where they had an actual piece of clothing on the show, wait five years. And then check eBay. It just seems that to be the time that everybody's clearing out their closet and getting rid of their old clothes. Because I managed to find the next pair of, of trousers uh, all within months of each other, within weeks.
1: So basically, you're saying not only wait five years, but always be aware of the importance of spring
0: cleaning. Exactly. exactly. The time when everybody's getting rid of their old junk. because <laughs> <everybody's laughs> junk. The best part is, is when they don't know what they have. Because they'll put their old clothes up there for like, you know, Oh, I'll put my clothes up there for 10 pounds. Who <laughs> they they haven't done the research? They they you know they're clearly not true fans. I I won't say how much I I got all the trousers for. Some were expensive, but a lot of them were not because the begin the, the folks didn't know exactly what they had. Yeah, those are the best finds. Right. So, <laughs> and I did actually manage to find uh I think seven pairs in all.
1: mm Hmm. Now, uh, Steve Ricks, I know, made your suit and did a superb job. Um, and for anyone interested in tips about uh, doing the suit, if you're the type who want to do your own tailoring, definitely check out Steve's blog at tenantsuit.blogspot.com. Uh, uh, lots of great stuff on there, including uh, the Louise Page uh, videos you were just talking about.
0: Yes, absolutely. You know, Steve did an absolutely fantastic job. He's such a talented guy and a great fellow to uh, you know to work with and, and, and commission from and and communicate with. And he's just uh, done a fantastic job giving back so much to the community with his blog. Uh, Just so much stuff on there. And like I said, you can literally see the step-by-step procedure of how he made this suit jacket of mine. He he talks about which trousers he took them from. He shows you where he cut the panels out. It's just really cool.
1: Oh, yeah. No, complete agreement. Yeah, that blog is a godsend. Uh, The next best thing, of course, would be the
0: Magnoli reweave fabric. Mm -hmm. That was actually taken from a swatch from one of my pairs of trousers, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah gave a swatch to uh ninja Risu, who then had the fabric uh replicated uh for magnoli and the fabric has the same exact thread count and i think there's been some debate or some discussion that it's like a millimeter off it's a little bit smaller than the actual fabric but i mean that's again some people i know that's really a huge thing for me i'm like really <laughs> that's it, it looks really good i mean i've i've been to conventions where I've run into people who've had suits made from the reweave fabric and I put my gap fabric up next to it just because I'm curious to see and the color is so good. The color is spot on.
1: Yeah, I I have that fabric made into a suit and it does look fantastic. The the reed is just about where you want it, to be honest. You have to be comparing it to the original to notice any difference and even then it's so minor it's, it's not worth it in my opinion.
0: It's a little different. Uh, the original gap fabric is a little, it's hard to say, a little glossier, a little thinner. Uh-huh. Reweave is a little heavier, but it's by like, you know, like I said, it's just by such a small marginal amount. It's to be negligible. So yes, yeah, so if
1: anyone is listening, uh, definitely check out magnoliaclothiers.com. Uh, I'll post the link as well. And, uh, yeah, you can buy it by the uh, yard, although it's very expensive. It's, I believe it's 60 a yard. Um, yeah. and he can make it for you or you can go and have it made elsewhere, um, to your choice. I know Baron Boutique is a popular choice. That's who made mine. Um, And uh, you can also go to places like Cosplay Sky or just find a local tailor who's just willing to take it on and do it for the price that you want. Or you can do it yourself as your own do-it-yourself project. Um, So I guess uh, let's comment a bit about the blue suit then. Uh, I know you don't have one, but
0: I'd like to hit it because that's his other very, very big iconic look. Yeah, i've been i've been i've been waiting up for that one so we can do it right i figure if i if i waited long enough to get the gap suit trouser I'll, I'll wait long enough to get the proper blue suit material made as well
1: oh i, I was just going to mention that magnolia i know does a reweave of this as well that's pretty good um but i know that uh, yeah the original stuff was a shirting
0: material yes it was it was a, a shirting material uh, again thin cotton that came from a shop in london on a whole roll so this one wasn't you know originally part of trousers this one actually came on a giant roll of fabric and the color was very different. It was actually a very bright blue and a very bright red pinstripe. What they did is they took it and they dyed it. They gave it an extra darker blue dye to kind of dye it down and make it a little bit of a darker, more maroon pinstripe for the red and kind of a darker blue for the uh, the regular full color. And it's also worth noting that the fact that they dyed it, if you dye the fabric like that, it kind of gives it a, the fabric a sheen. Hmm. So when uh, it takes pictures, the suit actually has kind of a glossy look to it. And it's funny too to, know, to note also that in photographs, it looks a lot lighter on the, the, the actual TV show. It looks a lot brighter than the fabric really is. I've had a chance to see the actual suit and the fabric in person, and it's incredibly dark in person. I mean, it looks... The thing that I kind of point out is everybody knows the character options action figures. Right. When I first got that action figure. I looked at him like, that's ridiculous. This doesn't look anything like the doctor does on his blue suit on TV, right? It's way too dark. It's almost you know, looks black.
1: Right, right
0: actually that's actually very close to the actual color of the suit they must have been working off of like a fabric swatch or something that they sent for a color sample um so even though like i said when it's in the light it reads differently it reads much lighter but in person it's actually very dark Oof.
1: well i mean you know i've run into that too where uh quite a lot when i've looked at original fabrics um or costumes in person they always seem to read darker than i would ever possibly imagine
0: Exactly, um, but yeah, that's it's this, the same. The suit is the same cut as the uh, the gap suit is the brown one, so it's just a matter of having that fabric and having it dyed. That's out there. The Magnolia reweave again. I'm not putting it down. It's a good stuff. The uh, the spacing on it is very good because uh, the blue. It's worth noting that the pinstripes on the gap suit, that's the brown and blue fabric. The pinstripes are tighter together than they are on the blue suit. The mm-hmm. blue stripes are spaced farther apart on the original fabric. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So uh, the spacing on the stripes of the Magnolia Reweave is really great. It's still a little too light. I was able to get a swatch of the blue suit fabric from Louise at Gallifrey. She gave one to me. And I got a sample of the uh, Magnolia Reweave myself, and I was able to compare the two. And again, the color is still very, very bright, which is actually kind of good because you might want to actually do what they did and try to dye the color down. And that would actually give it the correct kind of sheen and gloss to it um
1: and uh the nice thing is for both the blue and brown suits that um, all, all of the usual um suspects for making these online again i have a host of links in the breakdown uh but along the lines of baron or magnoli they'll make it for you and if you're not dealing with the magnoli fabric they've all got their close enoughs and i've seen most of them and for the most part they do the job just fine i mean you can sit there and get into millimeter measurement, measuring on the spacing or the exact shade of brown. But they, they all totally do the job. And what's even nice about this, I, I commented about this with Ewan regarding the Matt Smith costume, and I think this does extend to the tenant costume as well, is that, again, if accuracy is not your thing, you just want to go in and save some money and just get the general look, you can find you know brown pinstripe suits uh, usually at, at your local thrift store or some careful eBay shopping that's certainly close enough and uh, you know have some fun as David Tennant for probably less than I don't know 100 bucks. Um, so uh, let, let's talk a little about the shoes before we move to the other stuff uh, now as you said they're very easy to get just chuck all-stars
0: um, the, uh, the, for the brown suit it's not the white it's the um, off-white. No. Well, the funny thing is, is, is they're, they're called white on, if you looked at a catalog listing of these shoes, the white that everybody thinks is like, let's say, printer paper white, okay, that's called optic white in the Chuck All Star catalog. Mm-hmm. What you're looking for are usually just referred to as white, but they're really kind of a cream color. They're kind of an off white cream, kind of almost a little bit of beige in there. So it depends. Sometimes I've seen some websites call them off white. Other websites I've seen them just list them as flat, just regular white, even though again they are a cream color. And the really, like I said, printer paper white ones, they call them optic white. So if you if you see something on your website that says optic white, don't buy them.
1: Uh, right. Just to uh, confirm, the uh, the color you want is uh, the code is M nine one six two. And then for the maroon ones, which are not red, they're you know obviously a, a darker darker red maroon. Uh, you want M
0: nine six one three for the uh, the blue suit. And then of course the black that uh, he wears with the tuxedo, and he did wear it a couple episodes with the brown suit as well. He mixed it up a little bit more black with the brown suit.
1: oh yeah, 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 well, I mean, of course i'm I keep going for go for the accepted iconic, but yes, by all means, if you want to be episode specific, uh, you know know those details for sure. I guess that's really about it for that beyond i, I I've heard you say this, so I'll just reiterate this again. If you're going to go with the converses, uh put in gel guards uh, for your feet for comfort.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I know people always wear them. They're hip, they're cool, and maybe they're used to them. But I never wore them before I started cosplaying the Tenth Doctor. And I got to tell you, those those shoes—they look so cool, but they are the most uncomfortable things in the world. <laughs> it's just. You you feel everything through those little flimsy rubber soles. So a little extra padding in there can go a long way, especially if you're going to be in them all day at a convention.
1: I actually recommend that in general for any footwear people have uh, in their costume, if there's room for it in your costume, if you're going to be walking the floor all day, because your feet will thank you at the end of the day. And not saying it spares you pain. It just will reduce the amount of it you have at the end of the day. Let's talk the coat. Mmm, the coat. I don't know. Why don't you just take it from here and I'll just chime in because you probably
0: know more about this than I do. Well, the uh, the coat is one of the more difficult pieces to uh, to kind of hash out. Only reason being, well, I, I suppose nowadays not so much. There's an officially licensed version that's out there. But I'll get to that in a minute. But the coat is a complete custom-made item for the show. And it's a very, very unique uh, styled coat. If you really, really examine and look at it, it's not really a... Uh, trench coat in any way, shape, or form. It's a very heavy, very actually furry coat that has a very specific cut. If you look at the back, there's these four seams that run down it. It has a very strange and interesting-looking kind of uh, inseam running down the back and also down the back of the, the the tails, if you will. There's buttons all up and down it. It has some very interesting and very unique features that were, very again, completely custom-designed for the show. And there have been a lot of... Um, you know, available. You talk about the usual suspects. I think there was what one called Honest Dragon on eBay. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a couple. I can't remember all the names of all of them, but a lot of people, a lot of cosplay shops have, have tried to replicate and make coats uh, that were very much the same. The very first one that I ever bought for my very first uh, coat uh, and very first time dressing as the Tenth Doctor was an Honest Dragon. That's why I remember the name. And I got to be honest, I don't know. You know, we're not trying to be negative here on your podcast, I'm sure, but it really wasn't very good. I was not very happy with it. it I, I always say you get what you pay for. Pretty much, yeah. It wasn't expensive, That's and, and there it was. The back coat wasn't cut up the middle, so it was a solid back. You know, He has two coattails that, that fly back there. It was one whole thing. It smelled like turpentine. <laughs> oh, gosh. It, was, it still stinks. It still smells terrible. I don't know what sweatshop they made that poor thing in, but oh my gosh. It was noxious, and it really was completely inaccurate. Now that I know more about it, you know, back then I didn't know much, but now that I know more about it, I can tell you that the whole cut of it was completely wrong. Um, the best one that I've ever made, and I know this is going to kind of sound like brown nosing, but seriously, I have never come across any coat better made than Steve Ricks's, the ones that he makes. Oh, totally. Completely agreed. He is completely flawless. He has researched that thing up and down. It is it is perfect. His, his cut, and even the material he uses, it's not exactly the same color material as the one that she used, Louise used. But again, nobody has been able to find uh, the same one she has. It's, it was a very small, limited amount of upholstery fabric, actually.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It had kind of a bit of a speckled black, gray, and brown. So it had a very specific look. But um, Steve has actually come very close in finding a fabric that looks very good and reads very well at a distance and in photographs, uh, looking very close to it. He also has a custom-made a rewoven Self-striped lining. You know, the interior lining of the coat is blue, like the TARDIS. Actually,
1: oh yeah,
0: the, the theme and the reason they chose that, and it has this kind of double stripe lining, kind of woven into it. And Steve has got that matched perfectly. Um, so really, if you're looking for the best coat out there, uh, go with Steve Ricks. Again, it's 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 he's a individual tailor, handmade. It's not going to be you know a hundred dollars. It's not going to be cheap, but you're literally not going to find anything better. So, I guess the next question is though. Okay, I don't have that much money. Where do I go, right? <laughs> but there is a licensed replica made by a group called Abbey Shot, and it is pretty good. It's pretty, it's pretty decent and pretty mostly accurate in its cut and in the shape of its, you know, uh, panels and whatnot. But uh, I have seen it in person, mm. and I can tell you the color really looks nothing like what it should. It's very orange.
1: It is, and it's kind of it's kind of lighter. Well, it's really what your perception of
0: it you it's what you think it might look like, as opposed to what it really is. Exactly, exactly. Um, But you know, again, it's it's about three hundred dollars, I believe. It's not it's not super cheap, but it's in a a semi affordable range, I'd say. Especially if you're looking for you know just something to knock around in and just get the job done.
1: It it works well, I think, as an everyday coat because it's made of wool, so it's going to be warmer, I think, than trying to go with any kind of micro suede or upholstery type fabric. Um,
0: and I suppose there's there's some other cosplay uh, groups out there that I've seen that have made them but again, that's when you're going to the lower, lower quality and I, I really don't know what you get you may get something that smells like turpentine, so fire beware uh,
1: yeah, I, I would generally say if, if you can't go Steve Ricks, get, uh, get an Abbey shot, and um, beyond that I, I've actually heard, um, not Honest Dragon, but uh, Cosplay Sky makes uh, decent coats for the money um, if you have to go to the lowest end
0: okay, yes his shirts well, he wears dress shirts, um, two colors essentially. I, there really was with the brown suit, I should say. There were two colors. There really wasn't a whole lot of variety in there. There was a light blue and a dark navy. And you know, it depended on the episode. You just had to watch and kind of match and mix and match and see what you know uh, he was wearing at the time, and to try and find what uh, what style you want. Uh, there are various brand names that were finally discovered for these shirts. And again, this this is kind of you know I always kind of laughed about it because. It's a dress shirt. You barely see it. It's under his, his suit jacket. You could wear any light blue dress shirt, and it looks just fine. But, oh, they, sure. did, but they did find a brand name, which was, for one of them, Uniqlo,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um Japanese company. They, they have a couple shops in London. And uh, I will admit, yeah, I, I did. I was a big enough a nerd that when I did visit London, I stopped at a Uniqlo shop, and I did get myself a light blue Uniqlo uh, dress shirt to go along with the rest of my costume. I figured, hey, why not? I did find the one thing that was kind of interesting is the their Uniqlo shirts... The collars are cut in such a way that they're a lot shorter and thinner than a lot of some of the American brands that I was using. And it actually helps a lot in the costume when I'm wearing it. So that was one interesting difference that I did find was a benefit of the Uniqlo shirt versus the others.
1: Very neat. And I, I didn't know that actually. I mean, I've just got a standard shirt, but now now I'm going to go look and buy my own. So let's talk uh, at least, at least uh, an overview of the ties oh wow
0: (laughs) that's a category in and of itself Uh,
1: yes I'd recommend anyone to yet again go to tenantsuit.blogspot.com there's a fantastic 10th Doctor Tie Index there as well as all the fantastic Louise Page videos which get into uh, the background and history and um, a number of the brand names behind these ties but we'll just kind of touch on the popular
0: ones definitely Um, he wore a lot of brand name ties you know there were a lot of shops in central London that Louise shopped at and she would go ahead and she'd find ties of course in the color scheme. Her her logic and her color schemes were always to look for whatever the two colors were on the suits. So if it was the blue suit, she would look for ties that had blue and red in them. If it was the other one, she'd look for ties that had blue and, and brown. And that apparently wasn't always a very easy color scheme to find. <laughs> so oh. you had quite a bit of difficulty sometimes finding just those two colors. And it also had to read well on camera, of course. So it couldn't be too small of a pattern. You know, it can be two very tight stripes or things like that. But there's um, one of the ones that was worn most often was, they called it, I believe they called it the egg tie because it looks like a batch of eggs. I think it looks like peacock spots. But it's a Giorgio Armani and he wore it in, I suppose most notably in um, the Dalek and Cybermen episodes. Uh, What was that? I'm a bad fan. What was the name? Uh, Rise um, of the Cybermen? No, 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 no. The end of the season one where Rose... Oh, Doomsday. Thank you, that's what I was thinking of. So, uh, there's the Giorgio Armani. He wore uh, his most famous one, I suppose, for the blue suit was the Nina Ricci one he wore in Smith & Jones. And then, again, all the brand names uh, have finally been revealed in the interviews that Steve did with Louise, where we finally got to learn all the brand names of them. But, essentially, if you're looking for ties, uh, they pop up on eBay quite frequently, actually. There's a Thomas Nash that he wore in... um, Idiot's Lantern, that has shown up there. The one that most commonly shows up, actually, is the one he wore in Utopia, which is a uh, St. George by Duffer. Uh Uh-huh, yep. It has kind of like a floral pattern on that. That one, I've I've seen that show up three or four times already. Actually, I have that one. And the Armani one I've seen show up a couple times already. Even if it's not even even in the blue and brown color scheme, there's a couple other uh, colorways or color schemes that were, were made at the time that you can find as well. Magnolia actually makes a couple replicas of these as well. That's right, he does. That's uh, what
1: I've lived with. Um, I, you know, I love David Tennant, but I had to stop short going crazy finding the actual Gap trousers and uh, original ties. But uh, yeah, his, his replicas are, are generally very good and certainly the easiest option for those looking to save a little money and you know just hey, I need to get this tie and you don't want to wait you know weeks to find it on eBay. Uh, he makes replicas of of the Utopia tie, the Daniel Hector tie, and the Swirly. Uh, Was that, uh, I forget the brand name, the the Swirly Tie from 11th Hour? Christian Lacroix?
0: Yes, that's it. Yeah, better known as the Swirly Tie. I think that's probably the most favorite tie of everybody. I think everybody knows that tie, everybody loves that tie. And uh, I can tell you the pattern that Magnolia has is not 100% accurate. It looks really good. It looks very close and looks very good. And I I actually have one, and I like it, and I use it. But uh, we do have somebody, Steve Ricks, who managed to find a real Christian Lacroix tie. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the same tie, it's just in the different colorway. I think it's purple and black instead of blue and brown, like the one on the show was. And uh, I've seen how the pattern lays in the tie, and it's, it's definitely different than the Magnolia one.
1: Yeah, well, again, it, it gets into that whole thing of, you know, how far do you want to take your accuracy? How much time do you have? How much money do you have is really the greater question to answer that, I think.
0: Right, exactly, because I can tell you, when some of the rare ties go up on eBay, it doesn't take long for people to find out what they are, and and the price will just skyrocket.
1: (sighs) That's the problem with found objects, or found items, and the second-hand market once it's
0: uh, very scarce. Some of them were so exclusive, I remember Louise was able to tell us, some of them were so exclusive, they only made, you know, three or four for a shop. That would order them. You know, they were the, the big expensive stores in London that they would want exclusive ties made at, at, in small runs of like you know ten, and so it's almost a given that you're not going to find
1: one. That had to be a problem if they needed uh, duplicates for you know stunt work and so on.
0: It actually was, and you'll notice that some of the ties sometimes were only worn. For instance, the the Christian Lacroix tie. hmm That they only had one. That was it. There was no others. She was only able to find one. And so she, she, you notice he wore it in episodes where there wasn't really anything going on, where he didn't have to do any stunt work, where he actually didn't get dirty, uh, you know. So there was only short scenes here and there. I believe the, the Pompadour episode it was used the entire way because, again, she said there wasn't any stunt work or there wasn't anything that he really had to do that would have caused, you know, potential damage to it. But there was only the one tie. So when Matt Smith turns into David Tennant while he's wearing it, they had to take the tie off and put it on Matt Smith. Huh
1: learn something new every day yeah that's uh that's crazy i mean it's such a great tie i think it was a great choice but wow what a what a risk
0: and the one that you notice when matt smith is in the 11th hour and he's running around uh you know amy pond's town mm-hmm. that was high the they actually made a replica of it uh because they needed one for you know slamming in a car door and being yanked by her and getting you know potentially damaged and having to put on some stunt guys so they actually had to make a couple of replicas of it for that episode I wonder if they did any better than Magnolia. Actually, the funny thing is, the very first version of that that Magnolia made, I don't think you can get it anymore, but the first version Magnolia made of the swirly tie is closer to the replica one in 11th hour than the one he has currently. I'm hitting on some of the uh,
1: the extra accessories one might use. Um, obviously, there's the psychic paper and the sonic screwdriver. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like the Matt Smith, uh, your, your main option here is the character options toy, although mostly... Discontinued can still be generally found on, you know, uh, eBay and uh, any second-hand kind of places like that. I know the
0: price is going up a bit on those. Yeah, because yeah, it's limited stock. But I have seen a lot of stores like Think Geek and places like that, online retailers, still have a uh, supply in stock to order. Yeah, they made a, a ton of them. I I have heard that the one with the Sonic Pen has like the best sound and light though. Yeah, you don't want the one with the UV light. The UV light is cool for the the fun little feature it has with the invisible ink, but uh, it's not as bright as the other one.
1: Okay, got it. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can get that. And I know there's the miniature one you can get with some of the other toys like uh, the Journal of Impossible Things and so on. But obviously that's not good for, you know, good to scale to a person. Uh, but those are great. They're they're very inexpensive. They certainly look the job and they light up and they make a noise and they're awesome. Uh, and then beyond that, I know there is uh, there was the MFX replica, which was the licensed uh, high-end uh, $450 replica that they only made 500 units for. I'm sounding like a crazy person, but yeah, I bought that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, at the time, it was, oh my gosh, they're never going to get better, and they're, they're only going to be around for so long. And occasionally, they do still pop up on, on eBay, and commands maybe not quite that much, maybe closer to 300, it seems, but uh, uh, they're, they're still around and out there. And I know uh, QMX currently has the license, and uh, they're working to hopefully one day get us a copy. But I, I've heard that they're actually going to drop the idea of doing the Tenant Sonic now, and they want to focus purely on the Smith. Which makes sense, I I guess. (laughs) Uh, Well, and then there's the various eyewear he has. He has the glasses and the 3D glasses.
0: I I don't know. I suppose I can spill the beans on this, but keep watching Steve's blog, because one of the questions we asked Louise, she revealed the brand name of the glasses he wears. I will say that they were, I believe they were were a vintage pair, um, and they are... Even Louisa said that they were never able to find additional pairs. There was only the one made for production. So again, again, you think, oh my gosh, wow, you know, you want to have duplicates made, but uh, no, they only had the one pair. You can you can find stuff that's similar out
1: there uh, with a bit of uh, careful shopping, uh, both online and you know at an optometrist or something, and uh, get something certainly in the range. I know the 3D glasses are are just cheap paper 3D
0: glasses that aren't that hard to find either. Yeah, no, a, a very good substitute pair that I found are, um, and I suppose people would debate. Oh no, yeah, but the pair that I've worn and it worked for me, and I thought it looked really close, uh, are Hugo Boss 0059. Okay. Pair 0058. Both of them, depending on you know your head shape and head size, uh, you can do at the 58 or the 59. Look very good and very close to the you know kind of shape and general look of those glasses. And let's see. I
1: think that's, you know, more or less the broad strokes on 10. I mean, just remember for your TARDIS key, you want an authentic Yale key. And uh, uh, what, I don't know, what, what's your stance on additional hand props, like the water gun or the wind-up mouse or gizmos and stuff like that?
0: Fun to have, certainly, if you can find them. Uh, definitely. It's fun to pull out of your pocket and play around with folks. But most of the times when people want pictures. They just want, you know, either your glasses on and your sonic screwdriver or something like that. You know what I mean? I, I've never had a request for the squirt gun or for the mouse or anything like that or the, the uh you know stethoscope it's fun to have a lot and play around with people at conventions but i've never like i said gotten a request for one yet
1: yeah it, it's hard to sometimes remember to go for the props when you're just so used to doing basic posing and it all depends also who you're posing with whether it's a fan or uh, someone else in a different costume so you're gonna try to be in character for uh, a villain or a
0: fellow doctor or something like that I'd say if you you know you're walking around with a bunch of pyroval priestesses, definitely have the squirt gun. That's fun. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure, absolutely. Um, but I think that m- more
1: or less wraps up talking about the tenth doctor costume. And again, um, I will post links to all of uh, the websites we've been talking about if people want to you know learn more and uh, you know cover more of the actual uh, brand names and so on. And uh, I definitely recommend those Louise Page videos. They are very, very um, enlightening. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, a few other little questions here uh, what would you say your best experience has been while cosplaying um, well, best experience
0: overall has just been all the people who've really had you know such enjoyment in, in getting to uh, see the 10th doctor and, and posing with a the cosplayer there's one specific uh, moment in particular uh, it was at Chicago TARDIS this past time I was there this past year um, a kid uh, in a wheelchair actually it was um Complete paraplegic, actually. He couldn't even speak. Hmm. Um, motorized wheelchair. I was kind of coming by with his family. And I was actually there with Steve Ricks at the time. And we were just chatting. And this kid came by in the wheelchair. And he kind of like, his eyes got really wide as he drove past us. You know, Steve was in his uh, 11th Doctor coat. And I had, of course, the 10th Doctor outfit on. And his mother goes, oh, he loves, you know, the 10th Doctor. Can you get a picture? And, of course, you know, I got to pose for a picture. And he just, he got this smile on his face that was just so, so heartwarming and really fun. And that was really one of my my most enjoyable moments just to see him light up and have so much fun getting a picture with, you know, the Tenth Doctor. I mean, I'm not the Tenth Doctor, obviously. I'm not one of those people who puts on the costume and sits around my house. Right. uh, But to be the Tenth Doctor for somebody and to look like him and to give somebody a thrill, I've always said you know, for for kids like that, it's kind of like going to Disneyland and meeting Mickey Mouse. You know? (laughs) They know it's somebody in a costume, but it gives them such a thrill regardless. And that's a lot of fun for me to be able to do that and see them have so much fun with it.
1: I agree. I I think that's uh, uh, definitely a large part of why I like to do it as well, is just that connection with fans and and making their day or making their convention. Uh, What would be your your number one advice tip to
0: uh, beginners? Tip to beginners. I would say pick something that you're really enthusiastic about. As funny as it sounds, I know I said that I kind of chose to cosplay as Doctor Who before I even knew what it was, but I knew it was sci-fi, I knew that that's something I really enjoyed. I like science fiction, I like the the kind of the, the fantasy world and kind of the things that Doctor Who represents, and so I kind of knew I would kind of like it beforehand. I say that, you know, not having seen the series, but I, I knew it was something in the genre of something I would like and something I could get behind. Uh, so that's what I would say. Pick something that you feel enthusiastic about, because when you get into, into the costuming, when you get into spending all the money, when you get into all the blood, sweat and tears for making something with your bare hands. At the end of the day, if you're not happy with it, if it's not something you really like, you're just going to be miserable. But if it's something you do like, it's going to all be worth it, and you're going to enjoy yourself regardless. Completely. Completely, completely. Um, And, uh, well, you know what?
1: Let's talk briefly. uh, You've know, you done so many other cool non-Doctor costumes for Gallifrey, that great uh, Scaroth, um, last of the Jaggeroth, uh, for our skit last year, and uh, that great Vespa form. Uh, yep. that that was on your back. And, uh, you know, could you talk a little about those? Those were just so impressive.
0: Well, that that was me. I, I, I wanted to do something other than just the Tenth Doctor for once. Because <laughs> I told you I was kind of getting trapped in that zone where I just didn't look like anybody but David Tennant as that person. So I thought, what's the other direction I could go? Well, I could do a masked character. Or I could do a, a, a monster combination. And so the first time I said, well, let's have the Tenth Doctor, but let's have like a monster following him. And so I thought, well, what would be a good kind of monster that would be large enough to do that with? And, and the fourth season had just been out at that time. And uh, the Vespa Form episode, the um, Unicorn and the Wasp. Wasp, And I thought, well, that's kind of a cool uh, character. And I knew, too, that an action figure had been made. It was kind of a collect and build action figure. Uh, if I could get a hold of that, I could actually make a larger version of that by taking traces off the actual body of the action figure and turning him into a large carpet foam kind of of puppet because i do puppet making and i've, I've done puppeteering and so i kind of know how to do that and i thought this would be a great monster and a great character kind of so yeah the action figure was uh, going to be a perfect base to use to scale this up to be a large size and, and make it kind of like a puppet um because i do puppetry and, and puppet making mm-hmm, right I basically again did that took tracings blew it up cut it out of cardboard and uh made sort of a skeletal structure that was lightweight and would fit on a harness that fit around my waist and the around my shoulders, and basically got to wear this gigantic Vespa form around uh, Gallifrey like uh, a backpack prop. <laughs> it was
1: really effective. I thought it looked smashing, although the, the thing I thought was neat about it is you also had to build it to remember to pack it on an airplane.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not I'm not from California, I don't live in LA, and so Gallifrey is in LA, I, I had to uh, figure out a way to make sure that even though I made this thing as big as it was it had to all come apart in pieces fit into a couple of suitcases and then uh you know be able to be reassembled again in the hotel room afterwards so the actually that's the largest part of the Vespa was the wings I based the wings on the size of how large my largest suitcase was and so that <laughs> I couldn't make them any bigger than that
1: <laughs> which was very smart yes right yeah, I mean, how much would that have sucked if you'd made it, it looked beautiful, and you're like, it doesn't fit into anything I can
0: pack. So there's always those practical uh, considerations you gotta, you got to take into place.
1: Indeed, indeed. Um, so uh, so tell me about the uh, the Jaggeroth. That was really cool. And I, I know I blogged a bit about it in my Gallifrey report, but I, I just thought that was so neat and clever how you did it.
0: It's fun to do, doing, but that one was also a nightmare. Uh, brief story, uh, we were going to do that for your skit, actually, for Gallifrey. We were going to work that character in there. And it was a character that I had always enjoyed. I really loved that episode. Uh, of course. Yeah, great. And I thought he was a great character as well. And the mask was just kind of cool. And I thought, well, it's very simple because it's just a, a latex mask. And then I just buy a suit and wear a latex mask. It's not a lot of work, right? Mm, famous last words. Yeah, exactly. And I, I had kind of heard that the original was sort of made by blowing up a balloon and then uh, forming, taking liquid latex, thickening it up, putting it into the kind of like, you know, how you make cake frosting. You put in that little like squeezer bag, and you kind of squeeze it out on cake to make a thing. Well, I heard that they had thickened up latex, put it in the cake, you know, froster, and squeezed it on the balloon in those squiggly patterns, like you see the jaguar face. And then, you know, later you'd let it dry, and then you'd pop the balloon, and there'd be your mask. And so I was trying that method out, and I I, I had used salt as my thickening agent. Mm -hmm. The mask, I found when I put it on, had so much salt content in it, as soon as I started to sweat just a little bit, the salt was burning my face. Ooh. Yeah, so then my next brilliant plan, <laughs> trial and error, was I figured, well, what if I soak the latex mask in water to, to get rid of the surface salt and we'll be good to go, right? Well, I, I put the mask in the water, came back after a little bit, and there it was in several f- pieces floating on the surface of the water. And this was two days before I was going to fly out to Gallifrey and we were going to have this character in, in the skit on stage. So I was in big trouble.
1: Uh-huh. I, thank you. You didn't tell me this, by the way, at the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, Bob, it's all good to go. We got this, it's fine. So in a panic, and with a lot of help and advice from some other friends who've done masks and cosplay before, I very quickly went out and bought uh, silicone caulking from the hardware store, uh, made another balloon form, and poured the silicone caulking all over it in the same style and the squiggle marks, let that dry, which thankfully was a 24-hour drying period, and uh, threw that together last minute, and thank goodness it all came together because, you know, it looked pretty good. So it came out as, as, as a silicone instead of latex uh, monstrosity, but it, it worked. And again, luckily the Jaggeroth is, is such a design that it can be messy, you know, without having to look terrible. Indeed. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it works for that completely, but uh, so effective. And I thought the, uh, the uh, Mona Lisa prop you had was just serendipity right there. I was really lucky. I had just gotten in the mail, I think, like a couple of days before Gallifrey as well, a, a series of large-scale pictures that were advertising. It was kind of like Encyclopedia Britannica used to be for kids. If anybody remembers those, before the dawn of the internet. These <laughs> sample pages in the mail. Well, they had sent me a couple sample pieces of artwork. that had, like, factoids about the artist on the back of it. And all of a sudden, I was like, what am I going to do for this? Boom, here's a giant Mona Lisa for me. Beautiful. <laughs> Again, exactly. The moons and stars aligned. What did you, What did you do for the frame? The frame uh, just ran out to, you know, uh, I think it was Michael's Arts and Crafts. They had like a sale on frames and just found one that kind of sort of fit the Mona Lisa. I think I had to make a, a bit of a, a mat to make it fit in there, but it was a little bit smaller than the frame, but I found just a cheap old frame at Michael's. Good old Michael's always
1: coming in handy for us costumers. Um, so actually this uh, leads me to what Meta was talking about. Cosplay or costuming, uh, what do you think the difference is? and Or is there a difference?
0: Well... It's all, all in the name. What is in the name? Uh, costuming. Gosh, did she give? A, I mean, she probably gave a great definition. I'm so intimidated to answer this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, you know, S- Scott is a
1: believer that hey, you know, it's all good. It's all the same. And in today's you know place, it's uh, pretty much considered the same thing. People can differentiate, especially people who came into this uh, hobby before that definition, or I should say that term, really became uh, commonplace. Right. Uh, I, I know it. I've I've never a hundred percent liked it, but I've just learned to just accept it and deal with it and be like, oh well, it is what it is. But uh, you know, most people like to say, oh, cosplaying is you know being the character um, versus costuming, which is designing and making your your costume, so to speak. It's a nice distinction if you want to go with that. But uh, I think today, you know, people say cosplay, and it's just umbrella umbrella
0: term. Yeah, I've seen. There's I guess you could say there's two etiquette behaviors i've seen in this hobby there are the people who dress in costume and walk around and simply wear the costume but they are themselves like you know i've never pretended to be the 10th doctor or or david Tennant necessarily i mean sometimes i'll put it on a fake british accent and just play around with people for a little bit but i won't be like in character all day and other folks believe in being in character all day they'll they'll want to you know play pretend all day long like they're that character at the convention and so i i I've heard people, though, refer to either one as either costuming or cosplay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll definitely see there's the people who role play, as I called, and then there's the people who cosplay or the people who just dress up. So take your pick. <laughs> I don't know that I've, I've heard necessarily one be called cosplay and the other one be called costuming, but I suppose if you wanted to make that distinction, we could. I don't know if it'll stick, though. I think people are pretty used to calling it one or the other now.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, You, you just sort of pick what term you like and you go with it. I think that's
0: just the bottom line. What uh, what costume projects are you working on right now? Well, I have been working on for over 16 years a Ghostbusters costume cosplay. (laughs) Wow, that's ambitious. Yes, and I'm actually glad that I've waited that long because the fan community has finally advanced in those 16 years to have really gone, found the original props, found the original parts made to use the props. They've taken measurements of the fiberglass shell of the, the proton pack, and they've made perfect replicas of it. And they've all done runs, and we've all been able to help each other really dig in and make this thing as accurate and perfect as possible so i'm really excited i'm very close to being done finally and it's just one of those ones where you're so excited about being a stickler for detail because i finally have found everything perfectly right all the original parts (laughs) there's always i should probably (laughs) say that there's those people who are just like why was that such a big deal why is that important and really it's not it's your enjoyment for me part of the fun of the hobby is the thrill of figuring out what the original costumers, what the original prop makers did to make that prop. That's the fun for me. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not looks like it and walking around with that because that's fun. That's fun too. But for me, the hobby in making it is looking and seeing what was the journey the prop maker took to get to that point? What are the things that he found and used? Do you know what I mean? That's, that's the fun for me. I'm not saying that's a requirement for everybody. I'm just saying that's where I get my enjoyment out of it
1: yeah exactly there there's the fun of wearing it and then there's the the challenge of of doing it and really the almost the the puzzle in working out how it was originally done if it's not
0: readily apparent you know what i mean that's a lot of fun and and i'm really pleased to say that like i said i'm hoping i can wear it at a convention soon it's heavy as all get out though because i'm using real aluminum parts parts like they had used in the film but uh (laughs) i'm still excited about it no
1: it, it should be awesome i can't wait to see it um is there anything else on the doctor who front
0: on the Doctor Who front, well, there are are, there are some things on my wish list. I've always wanted to try to do Candyman. Oh, wow. You know, some people have always laughed. It's just the goofiest episode ever. He's just the goofiest villain ever. I think it would just be so hilarious to, to have a, a Candyman cosplay. And uh, I was lucky enough to kind of get a chance to meet the fellow who had actually made the original Candyman costume. That's awesome. Uh, his advice to me was don't. <laughs> <laughs> they had a, apparently a rough time in making it, but... Uh, after hearing how he made it, I would definitely make mine out of, of softer and, and different materials than they had back in uh, the 80s when they made that thing, but uh, that would be kind of my, my uh, dream monster cosplay for Doctor Who one day. It's it's No matter how many times I, I, I try to make it and it keeps getting pushed off, I one day will achieve that goal.
1: <laughs> it would be a really impressive costume, and hey, definitely something almost nobody else is ever going to do, so uh, I can't wait to see it when you get to it, because I'm sure it'll be very impressive. <laughs> Oh, and actually, a little side trip. So, uh, you know, this came up today on the forum in relating to the idea of figuring out how a prop maker or um, customer, you know, designs an original costume. If you, in your research, find that a costume has a mistake in it, um, do you keep the mistake for accuracy's sake, or do you correct the mistake, um, you know, to make an idealized version of said
0: costumer prop? Very good question. And I suppose the ultimate answer, the fair answer, is that it's all going to come down to your personal preference. But, I would say that if a mistake on the costume or prop becomes a defining feature, I would think you'd want to replicate that. You know, For, for example, the proton pack, the Ghostbusters proton pack, like I just mentioned, uh, the original props, when you first see them in a few scenes in the movie that were shot first, they're very pristine, they, they're black, but by the end of the shooting in certain scenes, they were all scuffed up, they had you know kind of silver specks and, and marks on the metal where had been, the black paint had chipped off, and I've kind of, you know, at conventions seeing other people walking around with, you know, perfect, you know, brand new, pristine, painted black proton packs. For some reason, they don't look as real to me. They don't look as good. Again, I know it's personal preference, but I think if you, if you do uh, chip up your pack a little bit, make it look scuffed up, it looks 10 times better. It looks much, much more screen accurate to me because that's the way they looked on screen. They looked all kind of, you know, handled and abused, as it were. Obviously, they weren't intended to be that way necessarily, but uh, I think that looks more accurate sometimes the accidents are what add the character to
1: the piece mm-hmm. yeah i can see that totally I, I think it just comes down to the read it it comes down to what what is it representing for you uh, is it close to what you want to be putting out there uh maybe you do want it to be shiny and like a publicity photo and maybe you don't want it to look
0: like hey i'm really out there fighting ghosts you know so i can totally see that i think if like you know like maybe a lapel is maybe a an inch lower than the other side unless that really read on camera and really looked like a defining feature i don't think it really mattered that much
1: yeah i would agree to that and and if it's a if it's prop where it's general wear and tear maybe over the years and maybe wasn't that way on screen um or just you know that if someone's going to see it up close they're going to want to see it looking nice and shiny then you know maybe you want to make it nice and shiny
0: Mm -hmm, definitely
1: yeah i can go with that um you know I, i think that
0: kind of wraps it up do you have any final thoughts? No, I think that's that's it. I really um, really enjoyed that. Thanks for asking me to uh, come on out of the podcast and discuss that.
1: And that's where we wrap things up for this episode of Costume Station Zero. Thanks again to Kevin Copa for joining me. If you want to check out more of his costumes, just go to alternatecopa.deviantart.com. Or uh, if you have any other questions or suggestions for us, just go to CostumeStationZero.com and I'll be happy to answer them. So check us out next time. I'll be talking to Kevin Kittredge about The Fifth Doctor and meeting Matt Smith right here on the next Costume Station Zero.